Beyond Belief on Claire FM. While I was with Sister Anne-Marie and Sister Isabel, I thought it would be very interesting to just hear more about the journey that they've taken, the journey from being Franciscan nuns in the Catholic Church to becoming ordained priests in the Anglican Church. It's been quite a journey. It is a journey, and it's a journey with its ups and downs and bumps and things. But actually, it always seemed to me that the heart of our journey is about following the risen Jesus wherever he leads us to be. And so, yes, started out in the Roman Church. I taught theology. I taught the documents of Vatican II um, in lectures. And I found a very beautiful, exciting thing to do. It opened up a church that had always seemed to me to be inward-looking and closed off from the world in so many ways and closed off from other churches. I am older, I'm 79, so I'm speaking about a long time ago. And what I found was that the documents of Vatican II, although there were different partisan groups of bishops writing in different ways, that it opened up the windows and cleared out the cobwebs and brought us back really to very important seminal issues. What was at the heart of the church? What matters in the church? Not about rules and regulations, but what does it mean to be church? And that was very exciting. And then as time went on, we were involved in... taught theology but then I became involved in parish ministry and Isabel who'd been a nurse gradually became involved in parish ministry as well and we found ourselves working in in the church Catholic church which at the time in the UK was beginning to turn back and look more inwardly after the Polish Pope who had walked out of Vatican II actually and because he disapproved of it and gradually, gradually things went backwards and we're not the kind of people who can go backwards Um, I've always valued the richness of the past and the best of the past in terms of theology I have this image, and again it's a theological image of the risen Jesus refusing to be locked inside any denomination but standing outside, beckoning us out into his world into his universe so One foot in the past, one foot in the future. And I began to experience a church that wouldn't allow us to be like that. And we taught spirituality, we ran courses, we looked after parishes. Um, In the absence of a priest, our bishop allowed us to do that in England. But gradually that became difficult. That bishop, a very enlightened man, invited us to preach about women's roles within the church at a time when there were no such things in the Roman church. And I spoke very publicly a lecture at his request on the origins of women's ministry. And in my research, I had actually discovered that there were women ordained as priests in the early church right up until 880, And we know this because we have their ordination prayers. We also have the edicts phasing them out gradually over the years, and the last edict was in 880. And the women were phased out of priesthood, not because there was anything wrong with them, but because you try to function as a society which has equal roles for men and women within a world society which is entirely male-dominated, as it was at the time. And 
that's very difficult. Gradually it becomes more difficult until Pope Salatius I writes to his fellow bishops and asks them what are they going to do with their female priests now that there is a new right of training for male priests. Now it didn't mean there weren't male priests previously but just they were innovating it, renewing it and gradually the women were phased out and that was entirely new to me who had not been in favour of the ordination of women and I think at that time Isabel too was less keen to be ordained yeah yes it came as a surprise to me when I it was suggested that I should go forward uh, for priesthood um, very reluctant reluctant I was prepared to go forward as a deacon and then during my year as a deacon I thought gosh no I'm holding myself back from the fullness of the priesthood not that I was worthy of it but that there was something within it that would allow me to share something of my own journey expressed through the priesthood I was aware of how every member of the community makes God present so I would facilitate in a sense by um, going forward for priesthood. So in the meantime uh, we had um, begun to realise that perhaps the next step for us would be as members of the Anglican Communion and we had a great friend or I had a great friend um, Victor Duval who had been Dean of Canterbury Cathedral it was retired at that time and we were talking on the phone and we were saying to him how difficult it was um, to function in a church that seemed to be closing itself off from society and from the changes that um, the wonderful changes of the Vatican II and um, he just said to me there's more than one way of being Catholic. It doesn't have to have a capital C. And half my family were Anglican and half Catholic. My mother was a Catholic until she died. And Isabel's family were entirely Catholic and from Ireland. She was born and brought up in Dublin. But we thought and we prayed about it for quite a long time. And we learned something from it, that if you have to make a major decision, it's not the right decision. The time to make a good and sound decision is when it's a tiny little step, a simple next appropriate step, not a major traumatic thing to do. And once we'd waited and reached that point, we then approached the Bishop of Salisbury and he was marvellous and wanted to know when we were going to be ordained and well, we said, well, uh, we were willing to do that and willing to train for ordination and then he looked at our CV and saw all the work we'd done in theology, the degrees and so on, and he said, well, you've done more training than any of our priests do. So he didn't ask us to uh, redo our training, but he moved us to a big abbey in the south of England, Sherborne Abbey in Dorset, where we could function for a year, first as all as nuns, Franciscan nuns, that comes first for us, and then in the second year we were deaconed, and we loved the idea that in the Anglican Communion our stoles are tied during that first year. And the wonderful thing, the symbolic untying of that stole during your actual ordination. So we were deaconed in Salisbury Cathedral and priested in Sherborne Abbey, which was beautiful because my cousin had been ordained in Sherborne Abbey as well 20 years before me and had been a curate in, in Sherborne as we had been. 
Yeah, and then we spent uh, roughly 20 years in various parishes. We went up to the north of England, to Cumbria, for five years and back down into Dorset again. And eventually, towards our um, retirement years, uh, we felt we still had more to offer. So we were offered this position over here in Kerry by the Bishop Kenneth and the thought of the coming to serve in the Church of Ireland was very novel for me and I thought because I like history I like the idea of having an involvement in the reformed Church of Ireland and I thought how beautiful is that right back into Henry's time when the ch- the Roman Church was sort of stuck in medievalism and here was Henry saying there is a bigger world beyond the contained one of the existing church so although I think my father would be uncomfortable in his grave at the fact of my becoming a Church of Ireland member I my whole heart is pleased and feels very at ease with belonging to this little historic branch of the universal church of 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 the world really yeah. I don't know about her father, but I do know about all her other relatives. And at her ordination, they stood up and clapped her. Mm. And it was beautiful to see all these people from Ireland came over to our abbey in Dorset and were so proud of Isabel. But um, my, I have no family. I was an only child and my parents... Uh, my father was dead uh, by that time. Uh, my mother wasn't well enough to attend. But I remember when we first told her we were going to be ordained, she said, well, it's the same God, isn't it? And mm. my mother remained a Catholic till the end of her life, excepting I took her funeral with Isabel, and that was very, very moving. Mm. Um, so lots of doors and windows have opened up for us and it's just deepened our own development spiritually as well as emotionally and historically so I feel very privileged to be at this point in my ageing life What has been exciting for me has been our Franciscan vision because we have no grandiose ideas in the Franciscan world Francis was happy to talk with anyone, to mix with anybody, um, would sit on the floor rather than sit at a table if they had visitors. And one of the things about the Church of Ireland that we found since we came here is something truly Celtic, that there is no grandiose status, um, that we have clergy colleagues who are at one with us and friends with us. People do not rest on the title they might have. Uh, For instance, the first time we came for interview and met Bishop Kenneth, um, because in England status seems to matter a lot within the the Anglican Communion, and uh, I put my hand out, good morning Bishop, and he said, no, the name's Kenneth, remember that. And we kept forgetting during the the few days we were here for interview as he drove us around, and he'd keep gently reminding us, no, it's Kenneth. Now, I love that. That's very Franciscan, and I think that's why we feel so at home here Uh, more at home I think within the Church of Ireland than we truly did even though we had a wonderful welcome in Sherbourne for our ordination and at that service there were people from the Methodist Church the Catholic Church um, a whole variety
variety of different church groups that we'd worked with over the years. There were people representing all the years of our ministry as nuns at our ordination. And that was wonderful to experience. But actually, there's something about the simplicity, the humbleness, the ordinariness of the Church of Ireland, which is truly holy actually and very moving yes and the tenacity the history behind their holding on to their particular uh, Christian uh, way of living yes through the roughness of historical history of course yeah and there's a great as Anne-Marie has said a great warmth and a sense of humour a lovely simplicity in humour when we came, usually in England, if you're appointed somewhere, you have the interviews and you meet parishioners, etc. And then you're sent away and you will eventually get a formal letter inviting you to take the post. and um, Or not, but unfortunately we've never been turned down yet. Uh, and since this is our last ministry, that's not a bad record. But... As we were walking away from the last meeting of our interviews and back towards the car park for Bishop Kenneth's car, he said, were you coming then? And I had to admit to him that I was very nervous of the two of us. I was more anxious about coming. Because I, everywhere we've been, I've taught spirituality and it, that matters to me hugely. It's the major part of my ministry. And I thought, gosh, will they understand me? Will they understand my take on things? I teach Celtic spirituality. Will I have the nerve here in Ireland to teach them their own beautiful heritage? And it's been wonderful, really. From the very first service, we always, because we celebrate together, one will lead the service and the other will preach and pray and then we swap over or turn it Sundays. So for that first service, I happened be the one who was going to preach and I had my sermon prepared I always do but I put it down and walked to the front of our chancel and just spoke with people and from the minute I opened my mouth I felt the warmth and the connection and the understanding and I thought well why on earth did I worry people who live amongst mountains and sea and wind and rain and most awful storms at times of course they understand the mists and the fruitfulness of Kerry of course they understand and that has been a very beautiful experience